think people need to realize too, like I say this with very, I'm very cautious. I say this, but it's like, you don't know the man. You don't know if he's going through a divorce. You don't know what, like what's going on. So I'd rather try to understand the situation better than get trigger happy, jump the gun. Cause if we're going to be honest, I could have easily went up there, knocked him out and then mm-hmm. just call the cops and go like, Hey, problem solved. But then is that really a problem solved? You know, that's just, that's a temporary fix. Yeah, I knock him out, but who's to say he doesn't wake up and do that again later and become more violent? And you just totally, you know, ruin this guy's livelihood over a dumb mistake. And again, I always tell you, I'm like, look, I'm no one to judge him. I've made mistakes. You know, I'm not a perfect man. So the best that I can do is just make sure everyone gets home that night. What happens the day after tomorrow? I don't know. That that was it at that current moment. That's what I was kind of thinking. Monday, December 6th, and this is the Greg Gabriel Talks Football Show. My name is Aldo Gandia. Greg, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. I didn't realize it was the 6th already. Yeah, this month is going by fast. Do you do the sh- uh, Christmas shopping in your house? <laughs> I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> and you know what? Now it's, you know, you used to go out and do Christmas shopping. Now you get on the computer and click. Yep. Exactly. You just worry that it'll be in time. And that's all you do. (laughs) So um, I want to say, honestly, I don't want to go in in a mall or anything like that. Yeah. I I, I just, you know, I'm I'm leery of, I've been vaccinated. I got a booster, but I, you know, I've got some lung issues. And and so I, I just, you know, until this passes, and it probably won't pass, I'll probably be dead before it passes. So, uh, <laughs> <Go there. laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I stay away from people. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I, I minimize that as much as possible. I have gone to a Bears game this season, or two Bears games this season, so I was uh, definitely exposed to. Did you go get? Did you go yesterday and get all wet? No, I did not, and I had an opportunity tickets and i said no i don't think so (laughs) like a lot of other fans refuse to go (laughs) what do you make of this franchise greg gabriel given that there were thousands of empty seats yesterday of course that had a lot to do with the elements but it had a lot to do with growing apathy and indifference on the part of chicago bears fans to this team led by matt nagy what are your thoughts well the, the the fans have, have lost faith that it's going to get turned around. And, you know, I think it's got to that point where I, I think it's obvious that in another few weeks a change is going to be made. I, I, I think they have to. They have to for the sake of the fans. And I hate even talking about that. We've talked about that before. It's just not what I like to talk about. But you know, you, you got to see improvement. You know, George and Ted said last year, you know, we got to show improvement. There hasn't been improvement. Right. And then, you know, you look at, at, at the game yesterday, 
that game was there for the taking. It was. It, I, you know, it wasn't that, that Arizona was that much better. The Bears beat themselves. And I don't know if you saw the tweet. You might have retweeted it. Andy Dalton was playing like he never played before. I did retweet that, yep. That, uh, those interceptions were horrible. You know, you don't you, you would expect that from a rookie in his first game, mm-hmm. not a guy who's played as many years as he's played and, and started as many games as he started. Those are just horrible interceptions. Yeah. And, and you can't have that. You can't you can't give your opponent a short field, especially on the road, you know, and give them momentum. And still, despite all that, they were still in the game, except then they turned the ball over again. Yeah, you know, so uh, I I don't know if you can put it all on the anything on the defense when when you're giving the, the opponents a twenty yard a twenty yard field they're twenty five yard field they're going to score. What uh, PZ is asking? So why wait? Why don't? Uh, why doesn't Bears management move in now and start making some moves? That's what all the fans are waiting for. It could actually be a boost to uh, fan uh, confidence if they make a move immediately. Why wait? Well, they can, and you could start the process. Now, let, let's talk about that a little bit. You can't talk to anybody in the NFL until the final two weeks of the season. But you can't talk to anybody in the NFL if you still have a man as your head coach. You have to remove the the man from the position. In other words, you have to have a job opening. So, And you can do that with two weeks to go this year. That's not to stop them. They could interview a college coach today, tomorrow, if they wanted to. There's nothing stopping from doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you don't have to keep things quiet. You don't have to, uh, you know, let, let the media know about it. Let the public know about it. Just keep it quiet between the, the coach, his agent, and, and the, the Bears front office. Mm-hmm. But then the key question is, who's doing the interviewing? And are they going to, you know, what are the changes going that are going to be made? Is it going to be a coach? Is it going to be a coach and a GM? Because is it going to be a coach and a GM? Then who's doing your interviewing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so th- th- there's a lot of things that, that come into the equation. Uh, and I can guarantee you we're not going to find out a tenth of it. And so my theory is that the Bears should try and hire an executive vice president. I was with you up until the last week or so when I started to think more deeply about this. I was with you that it's a redundancy in duties with the GM. But if you are going to make a change in the general manager position, why not bring in an executive vice president? He then works with Ryan Pace and beginning the interview process. And then at the end of the year, you tell Ryan Pace, you're gone. I've got a head start on hiring my head coach and I've got some ideas on who the GM should be. Isn't that a potential plan or am I out of my mind? No, that's a potential plan, but it's what's Ryan Pace's contract say? Nobody knows. They won't answer the question in press conference. Of course not, but it's what, what, what it's what, control over this franchise does Ryan Pace have? You know he's got the 53-man roster. 
So if if you bring in, let's just say, you know, throw out a name that that uh, Dan Pompey had on there, uh, Tony Dungy. Right. Let's say you brought in a, a, a Tony Dungy. Well, are you gonna you gonna give him control of the fifty three man roster? No way. Okay. Well, why not? Um, frankly, I wouldn't want him in that position at all, but, uh, but, uh, to your point, I just think he's been away from the game so long and being a commentator isn't, uh, a, a, a good part of your resume to flaunt if you want that job. No, I, okay. I get that. I mean, I'm just using that, that one name as a, as a hypothetical, but here's the thing. The guy who has control, the guy who has that tag, and this comes from the top of the National Football League, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's the boss. Anybody who hires under him. Okay, so it, it, it's kind of a unique situation. Yeah, they, they can do it. And, and they could... Well, they couldn't interview anybody within the league right now. It'd have to be people outside the league who aren't right. working in, you know, within the league right now because that's going to go back to the uh, two weeks of the season. And that two weeks of the season may be, I, I'm almost positive, it's strictly with coaches, not with front office people. So yeah. if it's front office people, it's got to be, you know, people that aren't currently working within the league. And then you're going to have to have the Rooney rule come into play uh, in a situation like that, because it's a, it's a high level position. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to have to make sure that you talk to minorities Mm -hmm. and go on from there. So that in itself is a exhaustive time consuming situation. Mm-hmm. I'm on record as saying I, you know, I don't think it's a, it's a great idea. I like the idea of the Bears hiring a consultant and advisor mm-hmm. better, uh, who can, you know, look at things, uh, you know, from the outside and, and give an honest opinion mm-hmm. as to what they think. Um, you know, people can be critical of, of what Ryan has done and he's done good things and he's done bad things. And that includes draft and free agency. Okay. And then we talked about, you know, the, um, you know, should, should he get a shot at a third coach and, and, and for all intents and purposes, it's really a second coach because the first coach was, was forced on him. But, you know, you could, there's, it's not like it hasn't been done in the league. Right. And the team Bears lost to yesterday. Right. Steve Kimes hired a few coaches now, at least three. Yep. Yep. Okay. And same with Tommy Telesco out out with the LA Chargers. I almost said San Diego Chargers. Uh, And I'll probably be, for five years, I'll probably be saying San Diego Chargers. But, you know, so it, it, it's not that it's a just because he failed with one guy. Looks like Tommy got it right with with the third one. It looks like they got it right in Arizona mm-hmm. finally. And and the odd part is, is that everybody laughed at him when they hired Kingsbury. Mm-hmm. 
And he and he couldn't win with Patrick Mahomes in college. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah, <laughs> um, that the, tells you something about the Big Twelve, by the way. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, the factor is asking a question that I've asked you once before, a few shows ago. What do you think about Champ Kelly? I believe his current position is assistant to the general manager. He's an assistant. I think he's assistant GM, and he really oversees the pro department. Okay. I mean, he does. That, that's his main thing. You know, I, I've met Champ, but I, you know, I've never sat in a room and discussed mm-hmm. things with him, mm-hmm. and 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 really gotten into a deep conversation about football. I know there's a lot of people that think very highly of him, mm-hmm. but to ask me, is he qualified? I, I can't give the answer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Toa asked, didn't we already try the outside consultant thing and, and ended up with Pace and Nagy? Uh, actually we ended up with no, you got Pace and Fox. Uh, John Fox. Right. And it's interesting because Ernie Arcosi was has done this a number of times, and it seems like the most dubious uh, uh, suggestions that he made were to the Chicago Bears. The other teams that he's acted as consultant, they had better results. And I, I, don't, uh, I don't, I wouldn't agree with you there. Okay, uh, uh, how about the Detroit Lions? No, that he did work with the Lions, huh? Yeah, that was a big yeah. mistake. <laughs> Despite their win yesterday, <laughs> yeah, that was that, uh, Quinn and uh, Patrice. Uh, they left a mess. His, you know, he was involved with Carolina hiring Dave Gettleman. Okay, um, and actually, Dave, I, I don't know what Dave did a good job in Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly what happened? There's a you know falling out with the old owner who was no longer owns the team. I don't even know if he's still alive, uh, Richardson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he got let go, and Ernie was involved with him going to the Giants. Mm-hmm. But in, in, in fairness to Dave, and Dave's been a friend for, God, 30 years at least, um, you know, he's into that job with uh, with the Giants for less than a year, and he got lymphoma. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's not only trying to be general manager, but he's going through chemotherapy, radiation, and all that other ugly stuff that you have to go through uh, when you uh, have cancer. So uh, it hasn't been easy on Dave. And Dave's, you know, he's 70 years old. He's the same age as me. So... They bring you in and they say, Greg, what should we do? What are you, what are you saying? Well, I could tell you a funny story. George Young said, all I know, Greg, is when it's fourth and long, you punt. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it's time to punt. <laughs> uh, uh, my message received and understood. Um, all right. So – Obviously, I was trying to do my best imitation of George Young there. Well, I heard him in a couple of NFL films interviews. That sounded pretty good, Greg. I gotta tell you. <laughs> um, so now what the fans are left for, even though the Bears are mathematically still in the playoff hunt, they're not gonna be in the playoffs. They play yeah. Green Bay next week. That's right, exactly. So I'll tell you, I hope Justin just to jump ahead. I hope yeah. Justin can play because he 
he was kind of pissed off at that Aaron Rodgers comment going back to the the first game here. Yes. You know, and I and and he he's mentioned it a couple times. Mm-hmm. And are, are the Bears better in Green Bay right now? No. Uh, but you just want to see him with that chip on his shoulder to see what he can do. I'm so with you on that. Uh, I am praying that he can get out there. Now, Matt Nagy said this morning, Monday morning's press conference, that the thing that they are watching with Justin is pain threshold because he, he clearly, at least the last time they talked, clearly is in some pain or, or discomfort. And so if the doctors clear him and he says he's pain-free, then he's going to play on Sunday. So it's going to be a day-to-day thing. Right. Well, uh, he's not, he's not going to be pain-free until yeah. the season's over, okay? There's going to be – and he's going to have to wear a flak jacket. And most quarterbacks wear a flak jacket to begin with. Right. And, and I um, think you know, the exact wording was the pain threshold is how much can he take? So, right, right. Yeah, wait, go ahead, please. Uh, because uh, I, I mischaracterized what Nagy said. <clears throat> yeah. No, and, and I heard, I didn't listen to the, the whole presser, but I, I saw that part. Be frank with you. I just said, why listen? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, and hey, I, 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 I didn't like what the offense was doing. Um, they were running the ball good. They got away from running the ball. Andy couldn't throw the ball. The the rain and the wind was obviously affecting what he was doing. Uh, it, it just, you know, it, to use a, 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 the, the correct term, it was a clusterbuck. <laughs> well said. <laughs> well said. And, you know, it, I thought that the game plan going into that Cardinals game from what I saw, I thought it was excellent. Pound the ball with David Montgomery, and he showed that he is a fighter through and through. He's the kind of guy that you want, and you name it, the the foxhole uh, on the field, uh, you name it, that guy is a fighter. He's awesome. I, I tweeted out in the third quarter, the Bears need 50 more of him. <laughs> Well, and the other thing that we kind of forget when we uh, look at that game is there are a lot of starters who are out. I mean, at at certain points in this game, you know, you had guys who were acquired a week ago. Quinn was in the game for several snaps. Uh, Not Quinn. um, Irvin. uh, Irvin. Bruce Irvin was in. And, you know, God bless Bruce Irvin. He's had some sensational seasons in football, but uh, he's not nearly the type of player. And Artie Burns has never proven himself to be worthy of the first round draft pick that the Steelers invested in him. And on and on, this team was depleted of talent. And yet they still had a chance to win. No, they did. did. There's one thing you can't take away from this team. And somebody said, you know, in, in the comments to one of my tweets, you know, something about, because, uh, you know, I, I, I go to this, uh, I hold in value, I guess is the best way of putting it. Does a team quit on its coach? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's done when the team quits and this team has not quit. Mm-hmm. They play hard. It's not like they're going out there and trying to lose a game. And and mm-hmm. we've seen that. And but they're not winning. They're making they're a very undisciplined team. They make too many mistakes. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was listening to, to Olin and um 
Mully yesterday in the pregame show with Pat Manley and, and, you know, very, very critical. They're all very, very critical of the secondary that just nobody's playing worth a darn. And you can't tell me there's not some talent down there, back there. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, it, is it the position coaches? Is it the new coordinator? And he, and he just wasn't really ready for that position who knows but you know it's the whole situation just isn't getting better and that's i mean that's that's the easiest way to sum it up it's not getting any better and so there we don't see any hope for the future because we haven't been given any hope exactly Other, other than flashes from justin fields and some strong play from montgomery Mm-hmm. Brummy Bear says that uh, tackle attempt by Xavier Crawford, geez. Uh, and that is just what is really a spear to the heart of Chicago Bears fans when you see that kind of lack of attention to uh, fundamentals. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't say that that was a lack of effort on his part. I, I would say it's more fundamentals. Would you agree with that, Greg? Oh, I, I, I'm going to say as a whole, mm-hmm. tackling in the National Football League sucks. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that has a lot to do with the rule changes going back to training camp. Mm-hmm. You have no contact. Yeah. Or, you know, you have very, very little contact. Nobody tackles in practice anymore. We used to tackle all the time, every day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, it used to be double sessions and you'd tackle twice a day and mm-hmm. you'd be live twice a day. Mm-hmm. And we had tough football players. You know, it, it, it's just become easier and easier and easier. And that's the, the players association. And, you know, I know the coaches don't like it, but you know, what, what, what are you going to do? Right. You know, I, the owners would rather give in to things like that than some of the money things. <laughs> you know, I, I want to see good football, good fundamental football. Mm-hmm. Yep. Same here. Same here. And so there is a difference. You know, you, we, we can say they haven't given up, but if they're not playing good fundamental football, it's in essence the same as giving up because to play good fundamental football, you have to got to be 100% focused on your job. And, and that's my biggest concern with the Chicago Bears right now is that in watching that game yesterday, it did feel like there was a sense of, okay, after that first interception, which uh, Andy Dalton threw behind uh, Grant, the intended receiver, that shallow cross. After that, there just seemed to be this feel of, holy cow, here we go again. Like the wind came out of the sails. Yeah, you've been around teams, you know, both teams that you've been a part of and also across the sideline and watching teams who have behaved in that way where it's like, you know, a a self-prophecy that something is going to go wrong here. And there's only one way to fix it, and that is to change the culture. And how do you change the culture, given that you have an administration that has had already multiple culture changes and they've talked about it? You know, that's not the – here's where I'm going to disagree with you. It's not the, quote, administration. It's the coach and the players. I got you, yep. That makes okay. Sense. And, and, you know, you go back to a guy like Olin, 
Olin would rip your head off if he saw a lack of effort by a player and missing a tackle. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd hear it from your peers. And that's what, what you know, that's what leadership is about. Mm-hmm. You know, and that you demand the best from your teammates and you hold your teammates accountable. Yep. And and the coaches got to hold the players accountable. The front office has got to coach hold the coaches accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's you know, it, it runs right it runs right down the line. Right. And it's and it's funny because I see Eddie Jackson trying to be that man, but then he is one of the biggest culprits when it comes to, you know, sacrificing his body to make a tackle. You know, I, I would love to hear a game of Eddie Jackson mic'd up because he's got that mouthpiece out of his mouth and he's talking constantly up until the snap of the ball. And so I know there's a lot of really cool stuff from a, you know, uh, management of his players and, and telling right. the defense what to do, but I also would like to hear some of the trash talking he says he he is he is a guy that uh greg would you put him on that list if if you were to move into that gm a position or player personnel position would you put him on that list of i can work with this guy and get him better i i know what kind of player he can be because we've already seen it right okay so what's the missing link and that's a situation where you got to sit down with the player mm-hmm you know, and, 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 you know, I don't know Eddie Jackson from a hole in the wall, mm-hmm. you know, so I, it's a matter of sitting down and getting to know him and know what he's about. And then, and, and on top of that, you know, you're watching the, the tape very, very closely, but you get a feel for him uh, and, and you gotta, you gotta be around the, in order to find out a lot of the stuff, you gotta be around the team. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it's easy for people like you and me to throw things out and piss and moan about stuff. But if you're not around the team, you're really, you're guessing. Mm-hmm. You're guessing because you just want better because you're a fan and you expect more. But you don't know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally agree. And... um one of uh, one of the excellent questions that was posed to uh, Matt Nagy today was about uh, Tevin Jenkins. This came from Mark Potash. I should have included the question because he, he did a, a much better job of setting this up than I will here. But in essence, he was saying, you know, we want uh, fans want to see Tevin Jenkins to see what they have. Is does that complicated by the fact that you need wins in order to ensure your uh, your place with the Chicago Bears, uh, and, and I'm paraphrasing here. So right, I know. So this is uh, Matt Nagy's response, and there is a follow up from Mark on here that I included. It's about okay. a, minute, a minute and fifty seconds long. Here it comes. Our team and our players understand that um, we have a we have a, a really good football team that we're about to play in division, big rival, um, Sunday night football. That for us, it's it's important for us to know that we got to do everything we can, whoever that is, to to make sure that we can put together a hell of a week of practice and go there and give it everything we got to 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 win that football game. However that happens, and whether with using Tevin as an example, um, our guys right now are focused on the win, but also understanding that there's a lot of things that can happen here in, in the next five games. We control that. 
the other part of that of what if down the road, what can happen in your job and, and, and you know, if you are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, that's all down the road stuff. And that's not where we're at, simply put. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're just not there. That's not our mindset. And it's hard to go to that point because that's just not how we think. You know, I understand the question. I understand the want because he's a high draft pick. It's just like Justin too, right? High draft pick, you want to see him play. But Tevin knows that just play, keep doing your thing, um, keep getting better in practice with Juan and Donnie. And then when your time comes, it'll, it'll be because it's supposed to happen, not because of extracurricular stuff. That late season thing, is that overrated though? I mean, that's, sometimes that's what fans want, you know, because they just want to see the future or whatever. But does that, is that, is there practical use of that or is that maybe something gets overplayed? No, I, I think, you know, some people have an opinion that it's overrated, but I think for us, like right now, our focus inside that locker room right now is beating Green Bay. And, you know, we, we're, we, it stinks that we lost yesterday. Like there's, there's, you know, we're four and eight and it's not the record that we want. Uh, it's, it's not what we wanted to happen yesterday. But you see the records of the other teams in the NFC right now and where things are. And so for us, we're aware of that, but it doesn't matter if, if you lose. Like we gotta win and we gotta win now. Thoughts on what he just shared with us, Greg? I, you know, I, I, I can't disagree with him. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he's not going to say, well, I'm going to put him in 10 snaps a game or something like that. Because, you know, then, then you're going to get questioned if it turned out to be six snaps. Well, you said you were going to play him 10. Why'd you only play him six? Mm-hmm. So you got to leave it open-ended. And I agree with him when he says, you know, we got to see how this thing plays out. Jason Peters is playing pretty good football. You can't take that away from him. And he is from an emotional uh, and career point of view. He is the leader of the offensive line, even though he hasn't been there that long. He's a highly respected guy. He's an intelligent guy. Um, So, you know, and, and he's not making a lot of money. So it's not, you know, he's not making $15 million or anything this year. But still, to take him out to put in a rookie, I, I everybody gets it. You want to see the rookie play. But I agree with Matt in that you practice hard, you go through your reps and practice, and you get yourself mentally ready to play so that, if you get called on to play, you're ready to go and you're not going to, you know, wet the bed when, when they put you in. So, and, and there was a comment when you were putting that clip on that he played, a, you know, he played a few snaps and in, uh, in goal line. And I thought, you know, early on in the game, they were playing with uh, bars was playing and they had an extra, you know, like two extra linemen, you know, it wouldn't be surprising. And that's mostly run blocking when you see those situations. And that's a real strong point of his game. Wouldn't be surprising to see him in situations like that. The only problem, though, is when you put in a real and you want to call you, you call it formations like that, a heavy formation, is that you're you're telling the defense what you're going to do. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we're running. Now, yeah, can you do play action off of that? Yeah, but you really only got like one receiver in the game. One dependable receiver, right? You know, so you, you got to 
you know, you can play with an extra lineman, but you got to have some pass catchers out there too. Otherwise, they're just going to, you know, put everybody up at the line of scrimmage and say, okay, well, we know what you're doing. We're going to stop it. Mm-hmm. So here's my concern with what uh, Matt Nagy shared. We know that Larry Borum has been starting at right tackle the last several games, and he's been doing fairly well. So, you know, why is there a different standard for Larry Borum than there is for Tevin Jenkins? Now, I understand that the options at right tackle are more limited than there are at left tackle. Like you just mentioned, Peters is not only a clubhouse leader, but he's actually playing well. So that makes sense from that standpoint. But at the same time, it could also be that Matt Nagy has not been totally satisfied with the limited amount of practice tape he has seen of Jenkins and wants to nurture him along. Well, I'll answer your question this way, Aldo, and that's Larry Boring had a training camp and played in preseason. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and Tevin had nothing. Yeah, excellent. And yeah. you you get to this point of the season, and you got one day a week when you got pads on. Mm-hmm. Now, there's stuff that they can do at the end of practice where you really don't need pads. You got a helmet on and you got shells where he can work against some. At the end of practice, he can do some one on ones with practice squad defensive linemen and, and uh, even go you know, two on two. We have a, a tackle and a guard mm-hmm. and, and uh, say, a, a defensive end and a defensive tackle or a defensive end and an outside linebacker and work some stunts and twists and things like that to see how he reacts to it. Um, and you can do that without having these full contact practices, mm-hmm. you know, get away with it. And and you would do that really at the end of practice after practice is already over with, you'd spend extra time to do that. And, and I'm sure they are doing that because, you know, every minute is going to help him. The important thing is that the rookie season wasn't a total wash because of the surgery. Mm-hmm. He is getting practice time. He got a few reps yesterday. He's probably going to get more reps. Uh, I agree with Matt that he, he can't get into the hypothetical of, you know, once you get mathematically eliminated because they're not mathematically eliminated yet. Yep. But there will come a time that he's going to go in and he's going to, before the season's out, you're going to see him playing a good portion of the game. Right. Because, yeah, you want to find out what you got. But um, but I still wouldn't put a whole lot of credence into that because this is his training camp right now. Mm-hmm. You follow what I'm saying on that? Totally. I mean, he, he, so he's way behind everybody else. Now, yeah. mentally, he might be ready. Right. Because he's been he's been to practice every day. He's been been to meetings and all that. But it's from the physical standpoint. Yeah, I totally uh, understand. And, and, and makes a lot of sense. We, we've been talking about tackling and now with Tevin Jenkins, you know, him practicing and so forth. And you've talked about the CBA agreement and how that's impacted you know, the quality of play. And Matthew has a question. He says, Greg, how many times did players hit in camp and practice in your day? So what is the difference when you were working as director of scouting for the Chicago Bears? What is the difference in guys preparing for games during the week that it is today? Because the, the, there was uh, the quality of football 
back uh, at the beginning part of this century when you were working over at Hallis Hall was much better in the, throughout the NFL than it is today. Well, I'm going to go back to when I, because really it already started to change when I came here, but we still had some double sessions. But if you had double sessions, there only could be contact in one, and the other one was more like a mini camp type mm-hmm. practice. Um, now you have no double sessions at all. You can have a walkthrough and then a, you know, and then a practice. But when I was with the Giants, I started under Parcells. Now that man ran a physical camp. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and and I'll give you I'll give you an example. First day of practice, first year I'm with the Giants. So this is 1984. Mm-hmm. There's no three days running around in shorts and a helmet to get ready. You were expected to be ready. So that, you know, that you did a conditioning test and everybody who passed the conditioning test was in full pads the next day. So they did stretching and then the nutcracker (laughs) right away. And we did the nutcracker for a half hour. (laughs) <laughs> and for those who don't know, the nutcracker is when you're going one-on-one defensive lineman versus offensive lineman in most cases, but sometimes running back. Yeah. And, and then there were some other drills, but it was like, okay, who's ready? <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> and, and you'd hit in the morning, you'd have lunch, you get a little nap and then you hit in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know, you had a two hour practice in the morning, you had a two hour practice in the afternoon. And I was, uh, there was one practice I was at that, you know, players got a little chippy, and there was a, a few scuffles. And so Bill said, one more scuffle, and we're just starting this thing all over again. And we're already 45 minutes into practice, <laughs> maybe an hour. And there was one more scuffle, blew the whistle. He goes, we're starting all over. <laughs> so now it was two more hours from there. Wow. Now, you didn't have a CBA telling you you couldn't do that. Right. You know, there was a CBA, but there wasn't a CBA. And so, you know, if you wanted to go practice those guys for, for three hours. And remember, when we first down, uh, started down at, at Bourbon A, we'd practice in the morning. And a lot of times the second practice would be at night. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a little cooler. Mm-hmm. So... Um, did the, was the nutcracker part of what was regulated out in the CBA? Because I heard some comments that it causes a lot of injuries or something like that. Or, or the, am I dreaming? Uh, I, 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 you know, I'll be honest. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's an old time drill. Mm-hmm. You know, they used to call it the Oklahoma drill, the nutcracker, whatever. Um, and, and can I tell you if you're a good football player? No. Tells you who's tough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. By the way, uh, Don Burr is in the uh, chat room. He is the devoted Detroit Lions fan who loves to visit the bar room. Oh, my uh, God. He's probably uh, <laughs> having orgasms right now. <laughs> exactly. Don, not that we want you to go into any details of, uh, on that, but congratulations <laughs> on your victory yesterday. And uh, actually, during our after-game show, we gave you a shout-out and went to Dan Campbell's press conference for a little while in honor of you and your Lions now go back to losing. <laughs> how about that? I, you know, I almost tweeted out that how would you like to be a Vikings fan? Yeah, exactly. That's humiliating. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I mean, because that team is just, 
Detroit, <laughs> Detroit is a terrible football team. Yeah. And, you know, Campbell has never called plays in his life. And then a few weeks ago, he just takes it upon himself because he's head coach to be the play caller. <laughs> he's never done it before in his life. And, and like, just the way he calls plays. And, and, and I like the guy's a good guy. Mm hmm. You know, and I understand what he's trying to do, but he's really not qualified to do that. Yep. You know, and and so there's no rhyme or reason of why they're doing things. Yeah, it it, it smacks of egotism that he would want to do that as opposed to allowing better prepared, better experienced people to do that. As a head coach, one of the any leader in any organization, whether it's sports or, or business and so forth, you have got to make a proper evaluation of everyone and everything, starting with yourself. And if you are bad at certain things, like I was asked when I was a communicator for a corporation, I was asked, what are you bad at? And I said, expense accounts. Okay, I'm going to find you a secretary or administrative assistant who's going to help you with your accounts. What else? I'm like, okay, this is, this is the way I like to work. Make it easy for me to do what I'm good at and uh, take away as much as possible the stuff that I hate to do. And that's what a head coach should do. And Campbell has not done that. But congratulations on that one. Did you see that winning touchdown? Uh, Greg, I, I I saw the play. Yeah, I I did not watch that game. I was watching the Bears game and then flipping over to the Colts game, which you know was a blowout of of Houston. Uh, but th that's it. And then I, uh, you know, I watched a little of the Pittsburgh game, which was an interesting game mm -hmm. to say the least. I'll tell you. I mean, speaking of the Pittsburgh game. People in Pittsburgh kind of said BS to that report that this is Roethlisberger's last year. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to think, but you know, like interesting, both Roethlisberger and Tomlin basically said, uh, "Don't count on it." Very interesting. We'll be keeping an eye on that. Um, all right. Uh, one other thing regarding yesterday's game that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, and I read this, I actually mentioned it on last uh, yesterday's show, and then I saw it in on Dan Pompey's column. He said there was a disappointing day for those players on the Chicago Bears who are considered building blocks for the future. Cole Komet, obviously, uh, didn't catch a ball that was practically in his gut, and it led to interception, which led to uh, points. Uh, Darnell Mooney only had like 20 to 30 yards receptions. He had a really small day. And uh, there were a couple of other players, building block players, who just did not look like they were ready to play uh, football for a full 60 minutes. That to you, isn't that – what is that an indication of to you, Greg? Well, I got to say one thing, and I – and I, you know, the drop that, that Camel had, the conditions had a lot to do with some of that stuff. Mm -hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. if, if you've ever played football on a wet field – in cold, rainy, windy conditions, oh, it's fun. It ain't easy. <laughs> it's not easy, but it's okay. Fun. It's not like you're playing and it's seventy degrees and the sun's out mm -hmm. and everything's dry. You know, and and you saw Arizona do the same thing. What was it? The second play from center, he fumbled the snap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so it. You know, I almost got to give. You know. As far as Mooney, they did a good job in 
trying to take him out of the game. Mm-hmm. So you got to give some credit to the to the Cardinals on that. Mm-hmm. On the one play with, with uh, Cole Komet, I attribute that to, you know, it wasn't like it was a perfect pass. It was behind him a little bit. And should he make the catch? Yes. But under the conditions, you know, you got to give him a little, little bit of a, a, a pass. But, you know, sometimes maybe you got to change your gloves every series. Yeah. Well, you know, things like that, you know, just to make sure that, that you've got optimum conditions in poor conditions to, to make plays. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, that was in the second series of the game. So uh, I don't even think his, his gloves, uh, you know, were. Well, it was actually the, the worst of the rain was then. Yeah, that is true. It was. If you look at the, you know, the beginning of the game, the, the the first quarter was when it was raining the hardest. Mm-hmm. Yep. I want to get the back. Everyone in the chat room is talking about these practices and, and so forth. And Bear Truth Nine uh, had a question for you. He said, "Would you? Uh, what is your ideal practice? How was it with the Giants, or 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 or, or the way that it's now, or some hybrid of of what you've seen and experienced?" Well. Practices are, are similar from team to team. You may construct them a little different as is how you're doing each. But you're starting out with individual, meaning you know the coach who's with his each position coach is with his players, and you know you might have 10, 12 minutes of individual, and you're working on specific things, and then you could get into uh, you know there's a there's a group thing where you got all the offense together, all the defense together. A lot of that is a learning situation, um, going over game plan, uh, formations, things like that. It's, it's like a walkthrough type thing, but it's not offense against defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then you're getting into more team stuff, and you got seven on seven and nine on seven. Uh, I think nine on seven is you're working on your run game. Seven on seven is you're working on on your your pass game, and then eleven on eleven. But what the it doesn't matter what I want because the rules won't allow what I want. <laughs> Which is so, hitting, hitting, hitting. <laughs> yeah. So you know, you're you're only you know, it's like we're playing puffball or something. I mean, you know, you're not a it's a tough game and you gotta hit yep. to and I I I, I get it that they limit some of this because they don't want the stars to get hurt. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're damaging the game mm-hmm. because the guys that you're paying $10 million to don't have an opportunity to perfect their game with practice conditions the way they are. Right. Okay. And you know as well as I do, because you can say the same thing with. In, in government or anything like that. Once you take something away, it ain't ever coming back. That's right. Okay. So you got to learn to live with it and you got to learn to, you know, I used to go to college, you know, most of my scouting career on, on, and going to colleges on Thursday, they'd be beating the hell out of each other and they'd be playing a game on Saturday. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> I know, but now, no, it's like, you know, the college games like the pro game. They don't, they don't ever hit. And they go, well, we only got 85 scholarships now where they had 105 then or 110. Yeah. You know, and, and so, 
Yeah, it's still a lot. Eighty-five is <laughs> a lot of players. Yeah. Do you think that, given the present status of the CBA and the fact that you know the NFL is intent on adding more games, and so what the CBA, what the players' union is going to demand, uh, um, one of their demands is lessening the amount of hitting throughout the season because we're going to see an 18-week regular season soon. Uh, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. I know you, a lot of people think it is. I, I just, you know, there's there's too many players against the 17-week, let alone an 18-week. Yeah, well, you know, money talks, right? <laughs> so no, I, I, no, I get it. And, and then they're going to cut down, you know, if they do that, they're going to go from three to two preseason games. And, and you know, do you see baseball? restrict the number of preseason games they have yeah yeah no yeah right you know you got you got to practice you you can't practice against each other so you got to practice against somebody now i think that the best way to do it is really you got to have more joint practices i agree with that because it's a controlled thing sometimes It's, it's a controlled situation but it it can pick up when we first started doing joint practices, there was a lot of brother-in-law shit going on now, you know, amongst the veterans. And, you know, they'd have friends on the other teams, and I'll take care of you if you take care of me. And, you know, there was, if you watch the film, a lot of lack of effort sometimes. And the coaches caught on real quick to that Mm -hmm. because it becomes very easy to see. And they got rid of that. So now these things get a little chippy and that's what you need. Mm. I mean, yeah, call me old school and I am old school. You know, it's a very physical game. You need to hit your body has got to get acclimated to hitting people. Mm -hmm. Okay. But you can do it in a way where you're still not, you know, putting people in danger of getting hurt. Now, Sometimes you could tear it. I've seen guys tear an ACL practicing a back pedal. It's happened my, since my, the, my the, second the, year. My second year with the Giants uh, might have been my third year. Uh, we had a safety. It was like a six-round pick the year before. Played a lot as a rookie uh, from UCLA, Herbie Welch. I don't know if you remember the name because this goes back into the mid-'80s. But it's like the first or second day of camp, and it's pre-practice. Mm-hmm. And Hurry's just working on his backpedal and he tore his ACL. Yeah. Wow. I mean, nobody was within 10 yards of him. Mm-hmm. That was Teddy Bridgewater blew out his knee. Nobody touched him. He just went to plant that back foot uh, when he was at the Vikings and boom, it just blew yeah. up. So that, no, that, I mean, yeah, that sometimes it's just the angle your legs at or whatever. It's just not perfect. And, and it tears. What mm-hmm. are you going to do? Yep. It is a uh, it's a conundrum right now that the NFL faces, and my concern is is that they're just going to continue to go away from the hitting aspects of the game, and market the game as a high flying aerial show. Uh, so they're going to go away from you know the the collision of the game, which is beautiful in so many ways, and they're going to transform the game to selling it on the passing of Aaron Rodgers and and all these other quarterbacks and so forth. So over the next uh, 100 years, this game is going to look totally different than what it used to in the old days. It's it's a shame. Well, there's one thing I've I've noticed, I'm going to say over the last five years, Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, you, you used to see highlights of older players. Mm-hmm. Sure. You never see them anymore. Because all those some bitches would get thrown out of the game with those hits then. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they're all, every one of those hits that we used to see, you know, you, there, there'd be that half hour NFL thing, you know, the big hits. Every single one of those is an illegal hit today. <laughs> they, don't, they don't show them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yep. By the way, you got another endorsement this time from George saying that you should be the consultant uh, when the Bears start to hire the next head coach. I already t- got my list. I told you that. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll go into that in detail uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, but what, what I want to do now is shift gears because my man, uh, Neil Stopchinski, is in the chat room. And I don't know many uh, fans who are bigger Notre Dame fans than Neil Stopchinski. So he is anxious to get your thoughts on the new hire over at Notre Dame. Uh, Mr. Freeman is now taking the head coaching reins. What are your thoughts on him? You know what? I, I think they had a, not a home run, a grand slam. You know, he's, um, and we had him here and we talked about it off air. Mm-hmm. As as a player coming in here, he was a disappointment. We had him as a fifth round pick, um, and I don't recall. I mean, it was you know twelve years ago, mm-hmm. thirteen years ago, and I don't recall all the circumstances. But I just know that he wasn't what we expected. And when you look at the traits, this is a guy that was like six two and a half, two hundred thirty five pounds, could run about a four five zero, maybe a four four eight. I mean, he had could jump out of the building. The physical traits were off the charts. He had first-round physical traits. Um, but he just didn't show up. And maybe his calling wasn't to play because he got into coaching right away mm-hmm. and has been coaching ever since. And he's had a lot of success. And I went, you know, I, I went to four or five Notre Dame games this year, and and I watched him. And you know, it, it took a little time because they had an entirely different scheme than they had last year, the last couple of years. And it took the players a few games. You know, you don't have a preseason in college, so it took them a few games to to get acclimated to that scheme. But hell, at the end of the season, until the last game, they they went like three full games without giving up a touchdown. Mm-hmm. You know, and and he he's very intelligent, communicates very well. Great recruiter. Everybody raves about him as a recruiter. But I said to you off the air, the most impressive thing is he's got six kids. <laughs> that is amazing. I know he's thirty five years old. He's got six kids. You have to be a special person to bring six kids into this world right now. <laughs> yes. A very patient one, too. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I mean, that's <laughs> first of all, I mean, a lot of people they say, Oh my god, I can't have more than two kids just thinking about the cost of, of sending them to college. Well, hell, he's gotta be a head coach if he's got six. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, George says Freeman will be an NFL head coach in about 10 years. Uh, he certainly has got a, head, a good head start moving in that direction. What do you think? Um, I, you know, that, that's a hard question to answer only because it's an entirely different game. Mm-hmm. And, is, and 
He's never coached in the NFL. His entire coaching career has been as a GA and then a position coach and then a coordinator, now a head coach Mm -hmm. at the college level. He didn't do anything as a player. I mean, you know, he didn't get out of his rookie year. Mm -hmm. So, and we didn't bring him back to the practice squad. Two or three different teams signed him for short stints on the practice squad back in 2009. And, uh, and that was it. And then he went right into coaching. So, you know, that was, I say that, that seems to be his calling. You know, I listened to the press conference because I'm a Notre Dame fan. His press conference was, was very impressive. Hmm. I mean, you always say, you know, do they win the press conference? He won the press conference, hands down. And the guy's a nonstop recruiter. I know he got done with that and he was on a plane going to, you know, because signing day is a week from Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And there's still some guys that are, you know, seesaw back and forth because you had a coaching change and you got to resell them and, and that type of thing. So, you know, his next week and a half, he, he's got a bowl game in, in, in four weeks and his next week and a half, he's got to worry about the, you know, his, his first recruiting class. And, you know, on paper, it's good, but he's got to hold on to these guys. Right. So he is, and and uh, the one thing that's impressive, and I don't know if it was his idea or the people in the recruiting department, but because you got a new coach, you can the rules change a little bit, and you could guys who had already made an official visit can make another official visit okay. because it's a new coach. They're bringing in everybody this Saturday. Oh wow, that's awesome! Good news. Yeah. So. Um, or everybody who wants to come, but every, you know, all, all those people are coming in and making second official visits. Now they're obviously going to be some that, that can't get here, but it's just showing you how he's, he's trying to sell the program. And I'm sure you saw the, the video of when he got introduced to the team after he signed the contract and it was official. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that was that was in itself was impressive. That told you what the players thought, and you know Jack Swarbrick, the the athletic director, who I think is probably one of the top and most powerful athletic directors in the country. You know he he said, um, you know there's a a false narrative out there that it's because the captains wanted. Freeman, that that's why Freeman got hired. He goes, that was part of it, but that wasn't all of it, but it it was, but he said he did listen to the captains and they, they just, they just were emphatic that they didn't, you know, the, they didn't want the culture change. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they really, the players believed in this guy and you can see it right there in that video. It's amazing. Yep. I've never seen anything like that. That is pretty. Cool. And, I, and I've been involved in, in this game for all my life. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. And again, I look at things from the communications standpoint. Notre Dame just did an outstanding job of, for lack of a better way of putting it, propagandizing uh, th- that hire. They, with that video and with the way that announcement was produced with moving cameras and the beautiful lighting and staging and so forth, they, those two videos 
are big recruitment videos for Notre Dame. They did it the right way. Oh, I yeah. hope. Sure. And, and and one of the things that well I won't <laughs> I won't compare it to the Bears because it's pro but but football but one of the things that I was going to say is you know the Bears don't think that way and to make things more appealing for free agency the biggest drawing that the Chicago Bears are going to have now for free agents is Justin Fields would you agree with that? Um, yeah, and who's going to be the coach? <laughs> that's that's the problem. <laughs> okay, so that that's going to play into it. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know how much money are they going to have? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, so th- there's going to be a lot of things. I'll tell you, though, I'll go back when Lovey was here, and free agency used to start. Now it starts like at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it started like on a Wednesday at midnight. And when we signed Julius Peppers, mm-hmm. and back then, you know, we weren't into uh, having private jets. Most of the time we flew commercial. Oh, gosh. But, but Lovey, not most of the time. Every I never been on a private jet in my life. The um, But we got Lovey a private jet. He flew down to Charlotte. And at one minute after midnight, he was knocking on Julius Pepper's door. Wow. That is an amazing story. And that's the way it should be done. And, you know, was back on the plane with it. Now, you know, was there talks with the agent before then? Sure. Yeah. You know, and you didn't have that, uh, what, I hate the term legal tampering, but you didn't have that that period back then. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, he was he was back on a plane and, up to Chicago probably by about four in the morning. Amazing. Got a great question here from Bear Truth Nine, who I, if I recall correctly, was a former uh, Chicago police officer. So you would expect nothing but great questions from a former cop. It says, Greg, a lot of the best players seem to have a natural high IQ coming out of the gate. Is that football IQ a trait more times than not? And also, how do you go about grading and assessing? Uh, football IQ. Uh, so uh, you know that's a, that's a great question for someone for someone like you. Okay. Football intelligence and, for lack of a better word, book intelligence, academic intelligence are yeah. two different two different things. Right. Totally different things. I mean, and we. You've heard of the Wonderlick test. They've been using the Wonderlick test forever since, you know, longer than since I've been involved in this. So that that started in 81. So that's 40 years ago. They've been using it longer than 40 years. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't like the test. But and, and there's people that say that um, it's not racially fair. Culturally biased. Which is, yeah. 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 Um, but there's guys that might have single digit or, or low teen scores on the Wonderlick test. There are great football players and very instinctive football players. Mm-hmm. So football intelligence has a lot to do with instincts. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I guess the best way to describe this is the difference between 
an anticipator versus a reactor. You follow what I'm saying? Yep, sure. The anticipator, Roquan Smith, extremely instinctive. Lance Briggs, one of the most instinctive players I've ever been around. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then there's other guys that are reactors. They've, they've got to, they see it and then they react. But they're always, they could be, because of that, they could be a step late getting to the play. And so you're always looking at, at certain positions, the instincts. And it, it, again, it has nothing to do with his innate intelligence. It's, it's his innate ability. It's almost like his natural, you know, his height, weight, speed and stuff. You got it or you don't have it. Mm-hmm. And and part of it has to do with, with your drive to be a great player. So you will do whatever you can to get better and improve. Can instincts be improved? Of course they can through repetition. And so you see things enough all of a sudden, then you you become that anticipator. Mm-hmm. And, uh, please go ahead. No, go, no, go. You go. I was just going to say that Frank Gore, when he came out, he had one of the lowest Wonderlick scores. He had a six, which is pretty low, and yet he's gone on to have a Hall of Fame type career in the NFL. I might have told the story, and and stop me if I if I did. The uh, when Frank Gore was in his last year at Miami. You know, I went down there in during two days. Mm-hmm. So, and I was with a, a good friend of mine who is now retired, Joe Collins. And Joe was with the Giants at the time. And Joe had been with, with several clubs, been a player personnel director at Cleveland, a pro director at, at San Francisco under Bill Walsh. But Joe and I have been friends going back, you know, to the early 80s. But we're there. We're the only two scouts there and because it was during preseason practice, two days. And so after the morning practice, we're in the, the uh, running back coach, and I can't remember his name. We're in his office talking to him, and we're talking about Frank Gore. And he said he's telling the story of, of when Frank was a freshman. And, you know, he admitted that Frank was not – you know, he couldn't read his problem and why he had a low test score is he, he wasn't a very good reader. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's what the, you could have a real low test score and it has nothing to do with your innate intelligence. It has everything to do, could be dyslexic or something like that. You know, you could have a, a learning disability, but it doesn't mean you're not smart. Yeah, great point. And, and so, but Frank was not a good reader, but he would work and work. So he said, you know, they gave him the playbook and, and told him, you got, you know, you're going to have to study this extra hard because of the difficulties uh, that you have. And he said, so we're like four or five days into practice. And he goes, he goes, I remember it like it was yesterday. And he goes, it was like a Sunday morning, two o'clock in the morning, my phone rings. And it's Frank Gore. He says, coach, I got it. Oh, wow. You know, and, and he said, and he goes, may God strike me dead if that's not the truth. He said, I got it. I got it all figured out. 
And, and that just tells you, anybody who's been around Frank Gore will tell you the type of work that he is. He outworks everybody. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, that's a great story. And that's one that you have not shared before. And, and you're welcome to share it again anytime because it's really a great story. George wants to know, George has two good questions here. Um, which one should I go to first? This is a fun one. He says he wants, he's asked, it's a request. He wants you to do the next show wearing that hat that you have. There's two back there. <laughs> and you've worn one for a portion of one show uh, last yeah. year when you were on with Schuster. Um, so maybe next time you can start the show with it on and uh, uh, okay. take it off when you're comfortable because it does look really cool on you. No, there's two. There's this one. Actually, this one's probably a little too small, but I like that. That looks awesome. That looks awesome, man. <laughs> and then there's, I'll tell you, this one I got in, oh, God, years ago. So I'm going to say 1995 in Park City, Utah. Mm -hmm. And that's this one. Wow. <laughs> that is beyond slick, man. Oh. Indiana Gabriel is what you've been you've been nicknamed in the chat room. And then Greg, Greg, I think it was Greg earlier. I'm pretty sure it was. He says that he's got a feeling. He's got a feeling. No, he says I think Greg knows who the Bears' next head coach. Oh, no, I, I wish I did. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I, I can't. You know, without interviewing a guy, you can't say, I know who I'd interview. Yeah. Now, I, I, I've talked to Todd Bowles a lot over the years. I worked with Todd. Um, his agent is a, is a close friend of mine. Uh, Todd, I'm going to say I'm 99% sure Todd Bowles is going to be a head coach in the National Football League next year. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he's one guy I talked to. But the most important thing you ask him if you're interviewing Todd Bears for the Chicago Bears is who's your offensive coordinator, or who's your list because you're gonna you might not get number one. So who's number one, number two, and number three? And because that's very especially with you know a guy like Justin Fields, you've got to have the answer to that. What management might be saying is we got because we got so much invested in Justin Fields, we have to get an offensive coach. I don't necessarily agree with that. you got to get the best coach who could put together the best staff. Agreed. Okay. Now the next guy I talked to is Brian Dable with Buffalo. That offense is outstanding. And the work he's done with Josh Allen is beyond outstanding. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, some people say he's a bad interview, and I don't really give a damn. He can coach, mm -hmm. and that's what you're hiring him for. And I don't know if he's a bad interview. I've never talked to Brian in my life, and he's a fellow Buffalonian. Mm -hmm. um, and then that was a knock on Vic Fangio, by the way, that he never got a head coach job because he just he would show up in sweats and stuff like that. And uh, it was just a bad interview. But uh, he's proven to be at least a, a better than average NFL head coach, in my opinion. And I, I'd want to talk to – I've been impressed with Ryan Day as a head coach at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. I don't know Ryan Day. I just like the way his teams play. Yeah. 
you know, they play hard. They got a good offense. They got a good defense. You know, yeah, he recruits well, but he's he's coached in the National Football League as a quarterback coach. Mm-hmm. He's been a coordinator at the college level, and he's been a head coach at the Power Five level and had success. So, and he's worked with Justin Fields. So, you know, that to me, it's, it, it's a no brainer to try to talk to this guy. Now, maybe he doesn't even want anything to do with coaching in the NFL as a head coach, but you still got to make the phone call and find out. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, the, so if he says no, he says no, who cares? Exactly. Yeah, and I I don't have a, a list of three, and maybe I will uh, later in the season. But I do know, you know, what I would like to ask of these guys, you know. And I've learned from Greg that one of the first questions you ask is, "Who do you bring in? Who are, who's going to be your offense coordinator and so forth?" And so one of the questions in the chat room was, "Do you know who uh, a guy like Todd Bowles might be interested in bringing in?" As uh, his offensive coordinator, anyone that he's been associated with that you are aware of that might, you know, be an offensive coordinator or at least a quarterback coach, if Todd Bowles were to get that uh, position with the Bears? Um, well, first of all, the position's got to be open for Todd Bowles to get the position. Right. And right now the position isn't open. Yeah. Um, so we got to be clear about that. Uh, could I find out the answer to that? I'd say better than 50, 50. Mm-hmm. I, I could. Um, but I, like I say, I, I, I would not have any qualms about hiring Todd Bowles as the next head coach. I know this team would play hard. I know they'd be disciplined, but it, it's still, it's ultra important that you got, he's a defensive coach. So it's ultra important that you have, the right guy on the other side of the ball. Mm-hmm. And that goes back, you know, watching that Notre Dame thing earlier today and father Jenkins, who's the president of, of Notre Dame, he was not in town when they went through the interview process. So he interviewed Marcus Freeman via zoom call. Mm-hmm. And he said the very first question he, and it's a great first question. Why'd you become a coach? It is a great first question. Yes, indeed. Why do you want to coach? You know, and and, and then go from there. Mm-hmm. Describe your how passionate you are about this. Describe your teaching methods. Give me an example of a player who was not playing well and now is playing well because of something that you said or something that you did. All sorts of questions that I can come up with that are – what I, I would love love to just put together a list and, and maybe I'll do that. Well, I, I have somewhere hiding in my house. It might take me a week to find it, but it was a list that Jerry and I yes. came up with. And it actually started when Jerry was at Tampa. He started putting this outstanding question thing and then we'll keep adding to it. But it's a list of questions going through that you ask. And this thing, you know, that I, it wasn't the whole list and it was four pages long. You know, those coaching interviews aren't 15 minutes now. No, it's not like the combine interviews. <laughs> you know, 
they they go on for a long, long time. Yeah, and and it, it, and it depends. Like if you know the guy already, mm-hmm. then you and, and and you you've got a personal relationship with them, and you know, I mean, you can cut through the the bait on on that. Yeah, you know, like if I was interviewing Dave Tobe, mm-hmm. I don't need an eight hour interview with Dave Tobe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Okay, him I've known Dave Tobe for for years. I played golf with Dave a million times. I know his wife. I know his kids. You know, so you know that that one's easy for me. Other than, you know, I I know how he's going to run a team. Mm-hmm. Who's your coaches? That's all I need to know from him. Mm-hmm. Who are your coaches? Yeah, right. Who can you get and uh, how much will it cost? Do you ask those questions <laughs> about cost? <laughs> well, that, that that plays into it because you you have a budget. Right. You know, and a perfect example. Uh, Mario Cristobal left um, uh, Oregon this morning to take officially take the job at Miami. You know, and I, and I read some stuff over the weekend. You know, he said, like, why would he leave Oregon to go to Miami? Well, he was born and raised in Miami. Yeah, he's Cuban. He's Cuban descent, and he went to the University of Miami. <laughs> and his all his extended family is in Miami. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty simple answer. Yep, it really and, is. That's home. He wants to go. You know, I, Oregon has Phil Knight and all the Nike money, mm-hmm. and they could give him double, triple the money if they wanted to, but. That's not as important as going home, but he has got, they're paying, it's a 10 year, $80 million contract. I think I read. Ooh. So 8 million a year averages 8 million a year, but the pool he got for his assistant coaches is, is the largest in the Atlantic coast conference right now. And Clemson was paying out some pretty damn big money. Because their their defensive coordinator Brent Venables, who just took the the head coaching job at Oklahoma yesterday, he was the highest paid defensive coordinator in the country. He was making better than two million. I think he was like two and a half million or something as a defensive coordinator at Clemson. And Miami's got a bigger salary pool for their assistants than Clemson had. Mm. So Miami has made this commitment, and you know you're you've been a football fan for a long time. Wasn't that long ago when Miami was the school? Mm-hmm. Yep, it was. Uh, and by the way, a great 30 for 30 documentary is that whole rivalry between Miami and Notre Dame. I don't know if you've seen that, Greg, but uh, if you get a chance, take a look at it. I think it's called Catholics versus Convicts because there was the perception at the time. Right, right. That's when Jimmy That's when Jimmy Johnson was the, the Head coach in Miami. Yeah, if you get a chance to watch, yeah, I've seen, I've seen it. That was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I saw it about a year or two ago, and I was like, "Wow, this is really well done." Bear Truth Nine is doing something that I like to do, which is to watch interviews with possible coaching candidates. And he says that by far. Todd Bowles is a big step up above the other guys that he's watched. He's watched guys like Josh Daniels, the bowl Roman, uh, and that Todd is the one that he likes. Is that something with, when you were talking to Jerry Angelo about interviews, is that something that Jerry or someone on his staff would do, which is watch television interviews with potential candidates? 
Well, I, I think it was the last show we, we talked about this, that the league, especially with, with minority candidates, mm-hmm. the league would have these interviews and they'd send you a DVD of, of the interview and they weren't long, 45 minutes max. Okay. And, but you got to know a little bit about the coach. Mm-hmm. Okay. You didn't get into a lot of specifics with X's and O's, etc. but you know, it was, it was a good, it was a, a good introductory type thing, but we used to get those. In, and when we hired Lovey, we went through, oh, Jerry watched him on his own. And then he had myself and Bobby DePaul and Cliff Stein watch the, uh, these DVDs by our, you know, together as mm-hmm. a group. And, and there's probably half a dozen that we watch and Lovey stood out. There's no question. And if, if you remember, that got down. Now, I mean, Saban was the guy. And talks broke off on Saban. And then it got down. There was It was Russ Grimm or Lovey. And I was for Lovey from as soon as I heard there was one of those two candidates. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you know. Russ Grimm might have been great too. That's an old run, but I, you know, Russ was impressive. Yeah, but, but Lovey, Lovey was that hot candidate at the time. And the Bears, you know, to their credit, they've hired the hot candidate a number of times. Dave wants that was a hot candidate, you know, coming off a Super Bowl uh, winning defense uh, uh, with, with the Cowboys, and then Lovey getting all the attention that he was as the defensive coordinator for the hot red hot Rams. You know, I remember on playoff games that they were talking Rams playoff games that they were talking about Lovey potentially being a head coach in the NFL, and so he was on my watch list for a long time. Time. So, um, so that you can't you can't say that the and Matt Nagy is a hot candidate like you mentioned last week. So you can't say that the Bears have you know uh, haven't been paying attention to popular opinion on this. They just need to get it right somehow and find the next. Well, the you know, you go after Matt Sherry was coach of the year his first year. Yeah, yeah. You know, everything was going on, but you know, for whatever reason. You know, he peaked in year one. Yep. And one of the things that came up way earlier in the chat, maybe an hour ago when we were talking about hitting and so forth, somebody made the point, I apologize, I don't I don't have that in front of me who made this, but that after that first season, Matt Nagy, and he admitted it the following season that the practices became more lax. There weren't, there wasn't any hitting. He did not play his starters very much or at all in the preseason. The second year, no, he didn't. Right. And so that may have been part of this decline of the Chicago Bears is that he has perhaps been the player's best friend as opposed to somebody who really gets the most out of them. I mean, you could point a lot of things. And, you know, it's like we could go into a bar and get a dart set and start throwing darts at the wall and see, (laughs) who knows? Until you're in the building, you don't know exactly what the hell's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, we're we're all just coming up with different theories. Yep. 
All right. I promised uh, Greg Gabriel when he agreed to do this series of shows that we would do an hour show. And here I am keeping him uh, 20 uh, another minutes. hour and a half. So <laughs> I've actually done all these. That's all right. There's one other. I, I wanted to tell the story last yeah, week. Yes. I was going to remind you of that. That was going to be our closing story. Please go uh, ahead. You know, because uh, uh, we were talking about Brian Kelly and LSU, and it's a, just an entirely different world down there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I had made school calls, but I had never been to a game there. And up until when did Katrina hit 2006? Uh, that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. It's around in there, but before, you know, right before then they expanded the LSU stadium, expanded the press box. So up until then, because the press box was small, we weren't allowed to, scouts weren't allowed to be um, in the press box. We had to sit in the stands. Mm -hmm. And they gave you like a corner end zone uh, seat. And this was in probably around, I mean, I could look it up, but I'm going to say 91, 92, okay. something like that. Mm -hmm. And it was a Saturday night game. And it was against Kentucky and LSU was not very good then. I don't even remember who the hell the, the coach was, but they weren't like LSU has been in, in recent years and one of the top schools in the SEC and the stadium wasn't even full. Now you can't, you know, you can't buy a seat, find a seat, whatever. Mm -hmm. But so I'm sitting there and because when I had to sit in the stands, mm -hmm. I used to have, you know, those mini tape cassette recorders to talk into. Sure. And and because I didn't want to sit and write and then people would bug me and what are you doing and all that. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there and every time there's a play, there's if, if I there's, I remember there's a linebacker in Kentucky I had to look at and I'm you know making comments about him into the tape recorder and all of a sudden there's a guy taps me on my shoulder like hard. And I turn around and it's a cop. And he said, boy, are you some sort of fucking spy or something? <laughs> oh, jeez. I said, huh? He said, what you doing with that tape recorder talking? <laughs> and I said, you know, had, had a, I got a better Southern act, fake Southern accent than Brian Kelly has, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> so he, um, I told him, I said, I'm, I'm a scout. I watch him and he goes, oh. So he sits down next to me for the rest of the game. <laughs> and I didn't watch mu much of the rest of the game. <laughs> this guy was interesting as hell. Oh, okay. And so he's telling me everything about he was at that time a lieutenant in the Baton Rouge Police Department. Mm -hmm. And so he's telling me about you know, I-10 runs through Baton Rouge and he's telling me about all the, the drugs that go through I-10, you know, from Texas to Florida and Florida to Texas and everything else. And he's giving me the rundown on that and all the problems they have with that. And so we get to the end of the game and he goes, where are you parked? And I said, well, I didn't have a parking spot. He said, uh, I said, I'm, I'm probably a mile and a half away. He said, well, where, where are you staying? 
and at that time, it's a, it became a Marriott. I don't know what it is now, but it was a Hilton back then, right in downtown Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. So I'm staying there. He goes, come with me. So we go out. His car is right outside the gate. Mm -hmm. Gives me a ride to my car. Oh, wow. Then he said, follow me. Turned on the lights. Police escort right to the hotel. Then he, so I get there in like, you know, a minute and a half. And so then he, you know, gets out and starts talking some more. And he gives me his card. He said, now, son, you're getting any trouble down here. He says, I'm going to put my home phone number on here. And he says, you call me. I'll make sure I take care of it. So... A couple days later, I'm at, an, at another school. And remember, do you know the name Hokey Gaijan? No, I don't. Okay, Hokey died a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. He was the color analyst for the Saints. But before that, he was a scout for the Saints. And before that, he was a, a football player for the Saints. And before that, he was a fullback at LSU. Mm, okay. And, and Hokey was a wild man. And a, a good Cajun. And I'm telling him the story. And he says, give me that card. I'm going to need it before you are. <laughs> so, but anyway, fast forward. So now it's, it's Katrina hits. And we played the Saints at LSU after Katrina because the Dome the Superdome in New Orleans was unavailable. I don't know if you recall that or not. Absolutely. <laughs> so LSU played Appalachian State on Friday. Or, yeah, Saturday night, excuse me. And we played Sunday afternoon. So I go to the LSU-Appalachian State game, and Tony Medlin, who is the, uh, the Bears equipment guy, he was real friendly with the equipment guy at Appalachian State. So he got me and some other guys field passes for the game. Okay. So we, we go to the game, and there's, of course, a bunch of Baton Rouge uh, police department guys, you know, policemen down on the field. Mm -hmm. So I walk up to him. And I, I got to back up a little. The guy's name, this cop I was talking to, you know, his name was Winston Ashe. So the card said, you know, so Cajun name, okay. Lieutenant Winston Ashe. So I go up to one of the cops and I said, and I told him the story. And I said, is he still a member of the Baton Rouge Police Department? He said he retired three weeks ago and he was the commandant. Whoa! He grew all the way, he went all the way to the top, and <laughs> he was the man. That is wild. Did you ever call him to say hi and thanks and anything like that? The no, drink? but I'll. I, the, the part that is amazing, like you say, this is like 1991, 92, something like that, and I remember the guy's name. 
<laughs> that is wild. And I can't remember if I went to the bathroom five minutes ago, but I don't, I remember the name from, <laughs> from 30 years ago. That is wild. The Commandant. That's a great story. And boy, I, I got to tell you, Greg, this is one of my favorite all-time Barroom Network shows. I have had a blast today interacting with you, listening to stories, uh, uh your wisdom on everything regarding pro football is so essential right now. You kind of give us all a realistic look at what is going on over at Hallis Hall, things that are could be happening, might be happening, probably aren't happening, and so forth. And that's invaluable for us fans who are so starved for information, but also uh, so hopeful, hopefully hopeful that the uh, that they're going to correct this and we're going to get back to winning football here in Chicago. So thank you so well, much. That's what, that's what we all want. We all want a winning team. So man, we, you ain't kidding. But I, I'll tell you when you start seeing the alumni kind of up in arms. Yeah. Yeah. And being vocal about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Then I, I think that strikes the nerve with some people. Yep. You uh, you texted me that very same message weeks ago. And um, yeah, you can see it now over the past few weeks. Those uh, former players who have broadcasting jobs. My goodness, I don't know. Well, the last time I heard them this upset was during the, the trust me years. And after they gave up those two 50 point games to the Patriots and the Packers. And in between, there was a bye week. So that made things even worse. Uh, but yeah, we're sort but of. That, that was a perfect example of the players just quitting. Yeah, there you go. Yep. I mean, and and they had a on defense, they had a terrible, terrible roster, so that didn't help either. No, I feel bad about a guy, guy who got. And we'll we'll end on this. Mm-hmm. But who was the defensive coordinator then? It was Mel Mel, Mel, Tucker. Mel Tucker. Yes, and Mel was put into a. a and I don't really know. I've met him a couple of times and he's a really nice guy, but I, I can't say I know him. Mm-hmm. Um, put into a tough situation because he was told he had to run Marinelli's defense. Right. Unbelievable. And so that was part of the problem right there. He couldn't do what he wants to do and probably hurt his reputation mm-hmm. some. Yes, but, you know, he ended up going to Alabama, worked with Saban for a while, and now he's the head coach at uh, Michigan. And then he, a couple of weeks ago, he hits the lottery with 10 years, $95 million. So, you know, he is uh, – you know, I'm happy as heck for the guy because he was coming off of that horrible situation. Mm-hmm. He was able to turn it around. Yeah, and I, I just have to say this before we go out. That is a huge mistake for anyone applying for a job and you're told it has to be this way. You should be very, very leery of accepting that job. When Ryan Pace was told this has to be your head coach, John Fox, it's like, wait a minute. Isn't that my decision to make? When Mel Tucker was hired to be defensive coordinator, he says, you got to run this defense. He should have said, wait a minute. Isn't that my decision to make? That's part of the job. And but then, see, on the other side, I mean, Ryan was said, you know, hey, this is the guy you're going to hire. Because he got the job before they hired John Fox. Yeah. But in the case of Tucker – Tucker had the opportunity to say no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And when he was being interviewed for the job. Yes. And, and, and that was his downfall here in Chicago, but he's bounced back nicely. (laughs) Yes, he has. Uh, Greg, again, you are the best. We will be here uh, next week after the Packers beat the Chicago Bears on national TV. Uh, We'll be here on Monday at 2 p.m. and we'll give you all the latest. Is there a chance that might be a new head coach uh, Monday morning, (laughs) Greg? Next week? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, you know, if, if if the Bears get blown out in Green Bay, that that that's that might not sit well with George. I agree. Who knows? Sit well with you or me or everyone watching as well. All right, everyone, thank you very much. We'll be back here tonight. It's the double A team. They've got a fresh new show. So uh, hit that subscribe button here on YouTube. You will be alerted to all of the new programming. uh, And uh, it's always on demand available uh, for your convenience here on our YouTube channel and on our podcast channels, which you can find anywhere. iTunes, Spotify, blah, blah, blah. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks, Greg. See you later. Thanks.